Matthew chapter 5. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. I just want to read the first sentence this morning. And I just want to say, as Jesus told the disciples, so he is telling us, you are the salt of the earth. You bring seasoning, you bring preservation, you bring flavor. You, as a child of God, are the salt to the influence on earth around you. Happy Father's Day. You have influence. Whether you are man, woman, or child, you have influence. I wish I had time to go back to Genesis chapter 1 and explain and describe just how much influence that you have That there is a spirit of leadership inside of you that was created when God created you in his image and likeness. You have influence. You are the salt of the earth. We want to encourage everyone this summer. And it looks like a lot of people have come back home, praise the Lord. We might have spent 60 hours in a van last week. Maybe not you. You actually enjoyed your trip. I drove 60 hours in a van and fought the demonic animal that Noah should have stomped on. Um, but for whatever reason, he let ride on the boat, and now bed bugs still exist today. Go on vacation. Take a breath. Check your room for bed bugs. Take you a flashlight. Leave your junk outside and check the sheets. And the you think I'm playing? Bring them home. Spend you a thousand dollars. I don't face them little devils three times now, but I am victorious in the name of Jesus. And the power of raid is very helpful in that. We want to encourage you to spend time with your family this summer. We want you to take a vacation. We just want you to take Jesus with you. Don't take a vacation from your relationship with Jesus. Don't take a vacation from your faithfulness in giving, in attendance, in growing in the Word and in time with Him. Spend time with Jesus this summer if you have more time. If you don't, then do it intentionally. Being Father's Day, I wanted to invite Um, not just any father, but a specific father who is kind of on the other end of the spectrum from me. Uh, I have a three-year-old son and almost five and almost seven-year-old daughters, and he has a 22-year-old son that he has raised and trained and still loves him, his mama, and most importantly, Jesus. And so I just thought it would be helpful if I got some insight, not only from someone who is doing it, but from someone who has done it and been able to, at this point, God forbid anything else, but at this point, be successful in raising a child that understands what it means to be molded into the image of God. And by the way, it's Clay Francois, and he is the most eligible bachelor in the room. So if you have a daughter or a granddaughter, you can go to manofgod.com and you can look up. That's not real. That part's not. But he really, he really is. We're, we are believing with him for that to come to pass. So I invited our in-house pastor, Blaine Francois, to join me in the pulpit today and help me 
communicate this word of God. Listen, this is kind of a side note, but I wanted to recommunicate it, especially for the parents that are still raising and training right now, your young ones. If we can believe God for our salvation and trust him with our soul, then we can trust God with our spouse. And just because society tries people on like shoes in the dating world to try to figure out which one's supposed to fit right, doesn't mean that the men and women of God have to do it the same way. We can believe God to reveal the husband and the wife of our sons and daughters. We don't have to try them on. We don't have to be like duct tape and stick ourselves to everything on in high school and to where we lose our stickiness by the time it's time for God to reveal the person that he has for us to marry. Okay, We can do things differently and expect different results. I don't want to be like the world. I want to be set apart. I'm not saying you're doing it the wrong way if you don't agree with that. I'm going to try it this way. We'll get together when I get finished, and I'll let you know how it worked out. But I just believe with all of my heart that if we trust God with our soul and our salvation, we can trust him with our spouse. It's just kind of a side note for those of us who are still in this thing, raising and and training our children and praying and hoping for God's will to come to pass in their lives. If you don't remember anything else today, I want you to remember just this one thing, men, women, and children alike. What God began doing in you, he's not finished doing. As long as you still have a heartbeat and breath, what God began doing in you, he's not finished. He's not finished with you. He's not finished with your children and your grandchildren. He's not finished with your friends, with your family member. He's not finished. The trumpet has not sounded. Revelation has not come to pass. Jesus is not in the millennial reign. He's not finished. If he were finished, then he would be here and we would be with him. But because he's not here and we're not with him, we can know that his grace is still waiting for some to respond to the fact that he has a will and he has a way and he is not, is not finished. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Says this, the spirit that you received does not make you slaves. It does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit that you received brought about your adoption. Now, being adopted into something is not the same as being born into something, but it comes with the same rights. Being adopted into something gives you the same rights as if you were born into it. But we understand and should be encouraged by the fact that even though we weren't born as joint heirs with Jesus, we have been adopted as joint heirs with Jesus. And we get to operate in the same anointing that Jesus operated in. The first service was way more excited about the fact that we've been adopted. By him we cry, Abba, Father. That just means Daddy. And I, and I said this, and I, I just want to reiterate it. As a father, I don't always respond like Mama. As a father, I don't respond to every whine and whimper. My wife, if she hears just a a fuss, a whine or a whimper, she's there like flash without the outfit 
It's a, you replace the robe with the skin tight suit and she's there in an instant. A child can be falling and there she is. The child could have gotten hurt, but she didn't or he didn't because mother craft, the hover bound craft is always around like a helicopter surveying the land constantly. Fathers, on the other hand, we don't, we don't respond to every whine and whimper. What do we say? Wait for it. They're okay. They'll get it. They'll figure it out. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Let them work it out. Unless they're right in your ear like, stop it! All right, I'm sorry. I thought you wanted them to figure it out. I do, but not right now. I'm trying to drive. We've been in this van for way too long for them to be screaming behind me right now. But as a father, even when she's not around, I may stop her sometimes. But when I hear that sound, that sound of a cry, a true cry, a cry of of anguish, a cry of alert, a, a cry of longing. When I hear, Daddy, I need you, get out of my way, because I don't care how big you are. I will even run over Sage Lejeune to get on, get to my children whenever they whenever they cry. Listen, when you cry out to God, when you call him daddy, when you need him. He's coming. He may not respond to every whine and whimper along the way. He may even stop someone else, as I have to stop mommy sometimes. Stop something or someone else from intervening. But when you cry out, the Bible says, the daddy, the father hears you. The spirit himself, he testifies, verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs, adopted heirs with rights, Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Amen. If you're wondering who's who up here, this is Chris. I'm Blaine. I know it's hard to tell the difference because I hit the gym three times this week. So, so but I know it's probably the beard that, just, that really gives you the, the distinction. You can, you can tell us apart because I couldn't grow the beard. In a week, my father didn't give me those jeans. It takes me like months, and it's still patchy. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Pastor Chris, for having me up here. Uh, happy Father's Day to all you dads. What a privilege it is to be here and speak to you. Listen, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about sonship. The scripture we read says that we have, the Spirit has given us, given us the spirit of adoption into sonship. We are sons of God. Um, not just not just the men in here, but everyone in here is a son of God. We are children of God, but the Spirit has given us the right of sonship. And sonship brings with it certain privileges and certain rights. Okay? When you are a son, there are things that are coming your way because the fact that you are a son, because you have a father. You read the scripture that, we, that, that Chris read, and it goes into the the idea of, of sonship and also heirs and being an heir. And the Bible tells us that because we are sons of God, that we are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. I love the way that that scripture says that because what it tells us is that we are set to inherit the same things that Christ, being the begotten son of the Father, will inherit. 
There is no distinction. There There are no differences between us as the adopted sons of God and the only begotten son of the Father. We are co-equal with Christ when it comes to inheritance. I wish somebody would say amen. I have a son, and because he is my son, he stands to inherit things from me. Okay? Listen, I don't have a whole lot in life. But my boy knows that when I'm dead and gone, everything that is mine is going to be his. Now, if I might be glad that I don't have a whole lot because he might knock me off sooner than, than just let me die in the process just to get his hands on. Or but, but the fact is he can, he can live his life. He can look at me and say, you know, that's going to one day be mine. This is going to one day be mine because of the inheritance that I have. Because that is my father. Because he's my dad and I'm his son. I am going to inherit from him the things that he now has. You get where I'm going with this? The father has things that the son will inherit. But watch this. You don't get to inherit just because you're a son. You can't inherit what a father has just because you're a son. Every man is a son, but not every son stands to inherit because of who his father is. Watch this. You don't inherit because you are a son. You don't inherit something because of who you are. You inherit something. You, are an inherit, you have an inheritance because of whose you are. It's not about who you are. It's not as about the fact that you are a son, but your inheritance is determined by who your daddy is. Oh, I want to shout right here. Your inheritance is coming to you not because of who you are. See, if it was about who you are, it would be about you. It's not about who you are. It's about whose you are. It's about who your father is that gives you the right to inherit something. The, the example I would use is, I, you know, I'm, I, I turn loose and preach right here. You know, the example I would use would be this. I don't, I'm, I'm never going to be able to go to Chris's father and ask him for my inheritance. Because he would look at me with, like I had one eye in the middle of my forehead and say, well, who are you? Well, I'm a son. You may be, but you're not my son. You get what I'm saying? My son will inherit from me because of whose he is. And we will inherit from our father the things that he has for us because we are his children. Romans 8 tells us that we are heirs and we are co-heirs and we are joint heirs with Christ. That means we are equal to him in inheritance. Matthew 6 tells us this, the Father knows what we have need of before we even ask. You know what I like about that scripture? In that scripture, it is very specific, and it says the Father knows. It doesn't call him God in this scripture. It calls him your Father. And as fathers, I've been a father for 22 years. It is part of our responsibility to know what our kids have need of. And I love this scripture in Matthew 6 because he says a father knows what you have need of even before you ask. Sonship comes with privileges. We are not just children of God, but we are sons of God. 
And because we are sons, we, we, we stand to inherit. But watch this. Just because we are going to inherit one day doesn't mean that, that we have to sit back and wait for anything from God or from our Father. Because my son, even though he is going to inherit from me one day, watch this, he has access to those things now. I'll give you an example. A couple of months back, you know, Clay needed a vehicle, so I gave him some. He wanted. He told me what he wanted, and I was like, "You can't afford that." And so I got on the internet and I helped him decide on what kind of truck to buy. And and so we decided on a Toyota Tacoma. He he agreed, and and so there were there were. I won't get into the reasons why I wanted him to buy this, but he, you know, e- either way, we drive down to the dealership. And one of the selling points of the Toyota dealership was, man, they never break. They just don't break. Man, you can drive. And he gave us an example. He said, we got a Tundra in the back over here. It's got 740,000 miles. And I'm, I want to see that. But anyway, they're not going to break, man. They're, they're just, and then you can drive in 400,000 miles and bring it in, and we still give you a million dollars for it. You know, it's just all this stuff. Well, guess what? The Toyota's broken right now. It's not so much broken, but the air condition doesn't work. And how many of you know that in South Louisiana, it's broken? If the air conditioner's not work, I'm not driving it. That's broke. You know? So Clay comes to me. Watch this now. He says, Dad, my my truck is broke. I still got to get to work. I said, the keys are mine right there on the counter. It's not his truck yet. It's still mine. If I was dead tomorrow, he would inherit that truck. But he has use of that truck. He has access to it. And it's not not an inconvenience to me to let him use it. You know why? Because he is my boy. And he has access to anything that I have because I'm his father. Come on, does that make sense that, that when we pass, we'll get everything? But as long as we're alive, we have access to anything. But we just have to pursue it. There will be one day when we don't have to pursue any longer, where we just are in his presence all the time. And, and we'll receive everything that is our inheritance on that day. But right now, we only have access to it. But we have access to anything that we want to pursue, anything that we go after. Uh, you'll probably re- refer to this again, but you, you think about the story of the prodigal son. He was a son, but he was a prodigal son. And I'm here to tell you right now that if the prodigal would have never returned home, he would have never received the inheritance of the father. You can't live as a prodigal and expect the inheritance that God has for you. You can't be molded in his image and likeness when you live like everybody else. That's just part of it. That's not angry. It's not condemnational. It's just biblical. If the prodigal son would have passed away in the pigsty, he would have never inherited the promise of the father. He never would have. But because he went home, <laughs> come on, because he turned not just from his wicked ways, but back to the father. Because he went back home, he turned to the father and began again to serve him and to do his will. Let me take you back several hundred years um, several hundred years ago, many of you know uh, a man named by, by the name of Michelangelo, not the Ninja Turtle, which is what I knew him as for about the first 12 years of my life. And when I realized there was an actual Michelangelo, I was in awe. I wanted to hear about him. And uh, he wasn't orange and he didn't have nunchucks, so I lost interest quickly. But 
Michelangelo, as many of you know, he, he molded, uh, chiseled the statue of David. He painted the, the picture of Genesis in the Sistine Chapel. And a lot of the works that Michelangelo completed are housed in Florence, Italy, in a museum. In this same museum are some more statues that Michelangelo never completed. What Michelangelo would do whenever he would begin to carve a statue is he would take the dimensions of the statue that he wanted to create and he would take a block of marble and he would place it on a platform and he would look at that marble and he's not like me. I look at marble and I see marble, okay? Michelangelo looked at marble and he saw a creation. When God looks at you, he doesn't see you as you are. He sees you as you could be. Michelangelo began, according to history, to, to, to chisel away at, at these pieces of marble. And he was creating many of these pieces for the tomb of St. Julius. He was going to place these statues of these uh, men in, of marble that he had chiseled and worked on. And he was going to put them in the tomb of Julius. But for whatever reason, he never completed them. They were unfinished men. They weren't finished. They weren't completed. Later, he describes them as when he sees them, he would look at them and call them captives. Because Michelangelo saw that they were bound by the fact that they were not finished. They were captive by the fact that they were not yet completed. He looked at an arm and a block and saw it as a captive. He looked at a body and a face and saw it as not only just incomplete, but bound and captive by the fact that it was not yet finished. When Michelangelo looked at the piece of marble, he could see what it was supposed to be in his mind, in the spiritual realm, in his knowing. He knew what it was supposed to be, but in the physical, he could See it as it was, and he called it captive, unfinished. In the Gospels, Jesus comes and he goes into the temple and he opens up the scroll and he turns specifically and intentionally to the passage in Isaiah. And he begins to read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. What does he say? He sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives. Jesus said, I came down from heaven and the spirit of the Lord has come upon me. See, the people that were listening understood that these were the words of Isaiah, but Jesus had a twist in the plot. He said, today, the one who Isaiah spoke about is standing before you. He is here. The Messiah has come and I have come. The spirit of the Lord is upon me today to preach the gospel and the good news. Now we understand that as heirs, everything that he has a right to, we have a right to. So the Spirit of the Lord is upon us today to preach the gospel, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, not to be bound any longer by what we've been, but to begin to be set free for what we could be. See, salvation was not just to set us free from our sin, 
but to set us free for our purpose. God doesn't just chisel away things because he wants to get rid of stuff. But the Holy Spirit is the chisel. The Holy Spirit is the one that comes. And the Holy Spirit will begin to break away things from our lives. Why? Because he can see what we're supposed to be, just like Michelangelo could look at the marble. Jesus looks into our lives and sees not who we were, not who we've been, but who we could be if we would just position ourselves in him. And the more that we surrender, the more we give the divine artist the right to chisel us away into our former man, into the one that was in his image and likeness that was created to be like him. Jesus didn't just come to set us free. He came to show us the way. Like, we're not just set free from sin, and then we stand on the block and, and, and as a statue. We're stuck. Praise the Lord. I'm no longer in the marble. Great. Do something. Now is the process of sanctification where you walk this thing out. You no longer gratify the desires of the flesh, but you live as, not just become thee, but you live as the child of God. More than a bearded beauty, Jesus was a man. I know we paint him into these beautiful pictures. Like, oh, he's so beautiful. Look at the face of the white man that we painted. No, no, no. <laughs> Jesus was sensitive, but he was strong. Jesus' Jesus's great moment was, greatest moment was not when he drove everybody out of, the, out of the temple. As men, we think like if we're not strong and stable, then we've fallen short of the glory of God. If we anger and sin not, then somehow we're not like Jesus. The only times that we are like Jesus, if we take a stand. No, that's not the only time that you're like Jesus. The most, the most talked about story of Jesus was when he bowed down at the feet of a woman to set her free and to protect her from what was about to happen to her because she had been caught in the act of adultery. He was sensitive to women and their children, the less fortunate, but he was still a man. He wasn't just some effeminate character that only knew how to express things emotionally. He was the son of God. And so often on Father's Day, I know on Mother's Day, we come in and we just love them. We just love the ladies and, and, we're, and we're so sweet to them and we just want to encourage them. And then we bring the dads and we're like, why don't you live up to what God's called you to? We take a whip and just start beating the fool out of y'all. Every, every Father's Day, like those are the Father's Days like, I'm a piece of junk and I need to be a better dad. Why do my kids hate me? They're supposed to hate me. I'm just a miserable person. No, listen, all you called is to be like Jesus. To be sensitive like Jesus, to be strong like Jesus, to walk with him, to fellowship with him, to be as he was, a son of God. Paul refers to him as the second Adam, the first son of many sons. Why did he have to be the second Adam? Because the first Adam messed it up, and so do we. But he came and he did it correctly for us so that in him... In him, we get a second chance. He's not finished with what he began. Yeah, I, I would, you know, I want to encourage you as dads and fathers. I've, I'm 22 years into this, and, and uh, you have to be willing. You have to be willing to admit when you're wrong and when you've made a mistake and not hold yourself to, to any standard where you think that you're going to be perfect as a dad, Okay. You know, the fact that, that Adam was not perfect and Jesus came and, and we get another chance, we get another shot, 
Listen, they're going to be in your home for at least 18 years. You're going to get another chance to get it right. You're going to mess up, but guess what? You just got to be dad. You got to be there the next day. And listen, I had many times as a father that I had to go to Clay. I had to bring my wife in and sit them down and say, look, I made this decision. I made this choice. I did this. I reacted this way, and I was wrong, and I'm sorry. Give me another chance. You know, he still turned out okay. You're not going to be perfect. You can't hold yourself to perfection. But there, is, there can be success. You can't have success as a father. It's not, a, it's not that great of a daunting task where it's just impossible to get it right. There, but it's how, you, it's how you measure success is what is important. Because the, the level of success, success as a father, is not determined by the things that you have, by your social standings, by your job title. Come on, somebody. You know, we men, we are always, we're always, we're always, you know, we, we, who we are. It's, it's what I am. It's, it's what I'm called to be. Or we're, we, 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 we didn't climb high enough on the, on the ladder of the social standing, so we feel like a failure. My, my job title is not as important as his. I don't, I don't have this. I don't have that. Look at the toys he has, man. Look, yeah, look at the bills he has. <laughs> Come on. I know people got a lot of toys. They got a lot of bills. But I'm getting off track. The you gotta, you got to be careful how you, how you determine or how you, how you qualify or how you, just how you determine what is success as a father. Because success as a father is determined by your level of involvement in your kids' lives. You just got to be there, man. Every day, every moment, every hour, you just got to be there. Just like your heavenly father is there. You can wake up in the middle of the night when everybody else is asleep and nobody wants to hear your problems. And you can begin to pray to God and guess what? He's there and he hears. He's he's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. That's really what success as a father is. You just have to be available. We got a bunch of dads these days. They're, man... I better not say that. They're just donors. They just, they just made a baby. And then they're not there. The problem with society right now is that we got, we got too many households that there's no father there. A little, I'm talking about a father, somebody that's cracking the whip, that's making decisions, that's being the spiritual leader of his household, that's leading his family, that's pastoring his family, that's being the man of God in that household. That's what we need. We need dads who will stand up and take the responsibility of just being a dad. Watch this. Proverbs 22 and 6 tells us this. He says, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is your ultimate call in life. To train up your children. It never ends. It never ceases. Once you become a father, you can never again not be a father. You can... It's a scary task, man. We, we, we had clay... Come home from work one day, guess what? I'm pregnant. Whoa. <laughs> All right. You know, I'm 21 years old, 22 years old, young, dumb, and stupid. Nine months later, guess where I'm at? I'm in a delivery room, and then I bring this little thing home. I am scared to death of it. It. Now it's, I know who he is, but then it was a it. I was scared to death. Mama had a C-section. She couldn't get out of the bed. It was me. 
I was scared of that little bundle. It was supposed to be a bundle of joy. It's a bundle of fear, man. I was, about, I was shaking in my boots. Scared senseless. Not so much at scared of him, but here's what I realized. It's like the realization hit me that this little thing can't do anything for himself. So everything that he needs, I have to supply it. And so I realized it's not just me anymore. When I'm hungry, I eat anything, but I got, I got to feed him now. I got to clothe him now. When he's crying, I don't know what in the world he's crying for. I got to figure out what his needs are. And I was scared to death, man. But the Bible says that we should train them up. And it never ceases. It never ends. It never stops. Your duties as a father, you can never, once you're a father, never again not be a father. Fatherhood is an unfinished task. I don't know how, care how old your kids get. You're always going to be daddy. And I'm finding out even at 22, they might still be in your home. I just don't receive that right now. I just wanted to, just that off. So staying on track here, <laughs> there is no other calling in your life that is more important than your call to be a father. That's it. Take that responsibility as being the greatest responsibility in your life. The Bible tells us, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? If that be true, then what shall it profit a man if he wins the whole world and loses his family in the process? There is no calling. God will never give you a calling that will cost your family. If it does, then you need to back up and reassess. Your family is your greatest calling. And don't let any kind of ministry. I could, I could bring, I know men personally that I could bring in here today. They would stand before you and say, because of my calling, because of the ministry that I was, I was in, I devoted so much time and effort to it that it cost me my family. God is not calling you to do that. Right now, dads, this is Father's Day. I'm talking to you. You are called to be who you are right now. You are father to your children, and your home is your first mission field. And he definitely hasn't called you to do that for the sake of the American dream. Because the American dream is not our standard of righteousness. The American dream and the things that we buy, the things that we give, the things that we get, those are great things. Those things in and of themselves are not evil. But when our children suffer... When our investment into our children suffer because we're pursuing those things instead of the things that, we ha that he has for them, my kids, the only thing that they know is that they have me. And at the end of the day, that really is enough, specifically for the youngest ones. Now, as they get older, Daddy, I want to do, I want to do, I want to do something today. Hey, I'll tell you what you can do today. You can go to work. How about that? You can go to work if you want to eat tonight because we can learn how to do something. Like, work is fun, isn't it fun? And Gabriel looks up and goes, Daddy, work not fun. Like, you're right, baby, it's not fun. But we got to stop being like the world and expecting the same and expecting different results for our kids and our children, our children's children. Or listen, you got to understand that this, this applies across the board. It applies emotionally, physically, spiritually, biologically. You have influence. Man, woman, or child, you have influence. And we're talking about having influence with the children of God or the potential children of God. And we have to have the right standard of success in our lives. And the standard of success that we're talking about today is the standard that would be involved, not only in your marriage, but in your, in your kids' lives. Not just for the sake of the gospel, but for the sake of their future. 
to prioritize the right things at the right time, the right way. And listen, you're hearing from two guys this morning that don't have it figured out. We're in the process, just like many of you would admit. God's not finished. He's not finished. He's not finished. We're in the process. We are following Jesus to figure this thing. You try to figure it out on your, work, on your own. The Bible says God works, not men. Not men work all things to the good of those who love him. No, God works. God works. The Heavenly Father. And listen, if you're here today, and Father's Day is not a good memory for you, like it kind of is not me sometimes, I have to really focus on my stepdaddy and the man that he molded me into being and all that he did for me. I have to really focus on my Heavenly Father because it's not fair that my daddy didn't get to meet my babies. That's not fair. It's not fair that he loved every little girl in the world because he never had his own, and then I had two, and he's not here. But the reason that he's not here is because he made choices and decisions as a man that led to a heart attack of stress in his life, where if he would have made different choices, he wouldn't have suffered from the same stress and ultimately the same consequence. We have got to turn the page, and we turn the page by not trying to turn and do things differently, but by turning back to Jesus, and as he's saying, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's why I brought him up here today, to talk about training and what it means to train. Be constant. Always there. Never stop training up. Proverbs 22 and 6, when he says, train up a child in the way that he should go. If you look up that, those two words, train up, the original text reads this way. Hedge in a child in the way that it should go. And when his responsibility to stay in it comes, he will do so. So the word train up literally means to hedge them in. To hedge them in. As fathers, now it's Father's Day, so you moms realize that you're part of this too. But I'm speaking to dads, you're just eavesdropping today. I'm a dad, I can, speak, I can, I can be blunt to, to, to dads. Hedge them in. When I, when I think of hedging in, when I think of a hedge in Scripture, the only, the only place that I can go to, the only reference I have is, this, is the Scripture and the story of Job. The Bible tells about a servant of God by the name of Job. And, and he, the, the story is that God had a hedge around him. Because the devil came to God one day and said, Man, I've been considering all these people on the earth. And God said, Have you considered my servant Job? And the devil says, Well, I, I would go after him, but I can't get to him because of the hedge that you have around him. And it's the Father, the Heavenly Father that had the hedge around Job. I know that we're not God, but I believe that as fathers, we can have the same protection around our kids. We can hedge them in. We can protect them. We can be a safety to them. It is our responsibility, dads, to train up, to hedge them in. Don't, listen, take the Word of God as your standard. Don't let the world in Hollywood tell you how to raise your kids. I was a very involved dad. I'm talking about to the point where there was nothing, man, that I wouldn't just jump right in the middle of. I mean, I know he's got sick of us sometimes. But listen, you're not going to watch a movie and, then, and then, do, then do what they do and get mad at me and storm off in your bedroom and close the door. In the movies, you know, parents go and knock on the door. Can I come in? What? 
Homeboy, the last time I checked, I paid the rent on this house. I paid the mortgage. I, the, I, every Man, I'm paying the bill. Just storm off to your bedroom and lock it. There's no locks on our doors anyway. Not the bedroom, not his bedroom. There never was a lock. Hallelujah. But just try it. You know what I'd have done? I'd have walked up to that door and I kicked it, slammed off the hinges, and I'd have walked in there and said, boy, let me tell you what. You don't do that in this house. But I wasn't mean. I wasn't ugly. I wasn't abusive. But I was involved. And he knew that any decision he made, he was going to have to answer to me for it. He was going to have to give an account to me for it. He was going to have to say why, when, where, and how. We were involved to the point that I know he got sick of us. But I'm going to tell you what, I, I, think, I think we did a pretty good job. We, we, we have seen some success, but we were determined, man, to hedge him in. We were determined to keep him as innocent as we could for as long as we could. You know what the problem today is really our kids are growing up too fast. They see too much too early. Protect them. Protect their ears and their eyes. Don't have, man, don't have internet in your home in a back room somewhere where they can just log on and look at anything they want to look at. Come on. I was ridiculed. I was ridiculed. I was judged in the ranks that I come from. You know why? Because I allowed my son to play sports. We didn't do that where I came from. It was wrong. I was never allowed to play sports because it was a... It was a sin. It was worldly sports. Now, we could have our own team and play that team that was in worldly sports, but we couldn't join their team. I don't know. But listen to me. We, so I'm an assistant pastor. I'm a youth pastor at church, and I know what they believe. And then the decision comes, and Clay comes of age. He wants to play baseball, and my wife's like, what are we going to do? I said, I'll tell you what. Their kids, I know. From experience, what I've seen and heard, they're upstairs in their bedroom with their doors locked on the internet. Dad don't even know what they're doing. But they're going to judge me because I'm going to let him play baseball. I'll tell you what, I, he played baseball. We went to every game. We watched him excel. We watched him do well. But I, I made a decision. I said, I'm going to be ridiculed for it, but I'd much rather him do this than that. Sometimes you got to pick your battles as parents. Train them up. Hedge them in. And watch this. Train up a child in the way that he should go. In the way that he should go. That phrase, the original text, the idea seems to be this. When he comes to the opening of his way. That phrase, in the way that he should go, means when he comes to the opening of his way. He says, here's what we should do. Give him a complete series of instructions on every step that he is to take. Drill him thoroughly on how to perform his duties, how to escape danger, how to appropriate the blessings of God along the way. Stamp these lessons deep in his soul and lead him to practice them until they're not just a part of his life, but they are a part of his nature. It is, it is, we are called, fathers, to be such an example that our, our sons and our daughters could look at us and say, I have to follow in such a way that what he is becomes a part of my nature. Yeah. Statistics show that young ladies will marry a man that is much like their father. Young ladies who grew up in abusive homes 
usually marry a man that is an abusive husband. That is the influence that Pastor Chris was talking about that we have on our babies. Listen to me. Be involved. To the point, listen, this, this phrase, train up a child in the way that he should go when he's old, he's not departed. We've always put this spiritual meaning on it. It means more than, more than just taking them to church. Yeah. It means involved in everything that, that they do and every decision that they make. There are many times that, as a father, I'd look at my son and say, there you go. Right there. That's the kind of woman you ought to be interested in. There were times where I very discreetly said, nah. Yeah. He dated a few of you come to my house. And I was like, that's not the woman God has for you. Hallelujah. That's Lucy, short for Lucifer. You know what I mean? Dads, whether they're sons or daughters, they ought to hear you. Yeah. List the qualifications of the spouse that they ought to be looking for. And model that. Model it. Man, you know the greatest thing that you can do for your children? Love their mom. My dad, great daddy, terrible husband. He didn't love my mom. He didn't model it. I do my best. I don't do it right all the time. I do my best. Well, Chris, the greatest thing that you can do is love Jesus. Well, if you love Jesus, then you won't have a hard time loving his daughters. Younger guys, you're not married yet. You love Jesus, keep your hands to yourself. Ladies, you, learned, you love Jesus? Stop causing them to lust by the things that you wear. It just got real. Oh, snap. But God called us to be holy. Because without holiness, what? No one shall see the Lord. We've covered a lot of ground today. Man, you guys have covered so much. I don't know if I could ever remember all. Well, you're not supposed to be able to remember everything that we talk about parenting and fatherhood and spiritual leadership and, and whatever it is that we've been trying to cover today. You just need to remember that he's not finished with you. He's not finished with you. See, Adam's greatest sin was not that he ate the apple. It's that he sat silently while Eve ate the apple. Adam's greatest sin was not that he partook along with her. Adam's greatest sin was that he watched her do it and didn't do anything about it. And then his second greatest sin, I don't even think the second greatest sin was the fact that he partook and engaged in eating the apple. But then after, because of what he experienced and the issues and the problems that were going on in his day, come on somebody, he took it out on her. He blamed her for what happened. And we do that all the time as husbands, fathers, sons, children. We experience a lot of junk throughout that day, and then we come home, and what do we, who do we take it out on? The person or the people that we love the most? Instead of sitting silently or screaming about things that don't matter, let's follow Jesus, the one that did it the right way, the one that loved and served and sacrificed to become like Christ is our greatest accomplishment. Because sonship is not for the faint and it's not just for the effeminate. It's not just for the ones that are willing to prance around and dance and shout and scream. And I love that stuff. I don't have anything against it. But I do believe that we live in a generation where young men need to see men going after God with a tenacity that doesn't look like it's just a woman going after God. But there is an arising that takes place in the faith to fight the good fight. That when the violence comes against your home, comes against your family, 
the valiant arise with the voice of God and the spirit of the Lord coming upon them and not just sitting around in silence or screaming about junk that doesn't matter, but we have a speech that portrays and communicates the gospel that is the power of Jesus Christ for the lives of the people that they have influence with and around them. See, before I ever pastor this church, I'm called to pastor my family. Or I'm called to pastor whoever God gives me influence with. Whatever it took to win her, it will take to keep her. So I'm called to romance her. And ladies, listen, don't you sit there and, yeah, you hear that. No, you do your part. This ain't just a daddy bashing day. I rub my feet. Go wash them. I rub them. See, all too often in the family, we look at what he could be doing better and, or we look at what she could do be, be doing better instead of just looking at what Jesus has already done and try to be like him so that that person can follow us as we follow Jesus. Man, woman, or child, the influence that God has given you is not subject to sex or gender. The influence that God has given you is because the Spirit of the Lord has come upon you and adopted you and you are joint heirs with him. Arise in faith. Fight the good fight. If I mess up in church, I may lose my job. If I mess up at home, I may lose my family. Would you stand with us today? Here's all that we want to pray. As many paths as we went down, as many different things as we discussed. Catch this. Are you ready? Do not be unfinished. Man, woman, or child. It's nobody else's fault that you are or are not who you are. God gave you the ability to be complete. I bought this a couple of years ago on the reservation. I think it's authentic. Either that or the sweet lady that sold it to me got it from a store and sold it to me for more than what she paid for it. Here's what happens. Watch this. So often we think that God has to take away in order to put on. Man, woman, and child, are you with me? You're the marble or the clay. As he begins to chisel away the things that do not belong, watch this. The things that he placed in you, the good that he sees you as, he doesn't have to start putting it on you. It's already there. The more that he chisels away at what's not supposed to be, the more that what is supposed to be is revealed. That which is hidden shall be revealed. Do not leave this place and not know that he's not finished. Do not live this life settled with being incomplete. Let the Holy Spirit Work in your heart, in your life, and reveal his original creation. The one that 
is being molded back into his image and his likeness. That is sonship. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me today? We're going to pray a prayer in just a minute. And if you want to be in that prayer, if you're not following Jesus or you've never followed Jesus, and today you want to make that right. Today you want to be more than just saved from your sin. You want to be set free so that you can accomplish what God created you for because you have not been doing it. Whether for the first time or the first time in a long time, if today you want to settle that and make that right in your heart, would you just lift your hand if you just say, Preacher, I want to be included in that prayer. I haven't been living for him, and I want to begin. Would you just lift your hand right where you are? Come on, don't lie to the Holy Spirit. He already knows you may as well confess it. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. I just need to follow Jesus. I haven't been. I need to give him my life because up to today, he hasn't had it. Anybody else? Thank you.